Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for coming in again on this beautiful Monday morning. Um, it's a great delight to be here. This is the third of uh, a series of four sessions, so we have one more next week. Um, and two years ago, and three and four years ago, uh, I called the session uh, From Darkness into Light, and we started in with All Souls, we went through to Advent and to Christmas. Uh, because of the circumstances of the last couple of years, I've called this Some Light in Darkness, because uh, certainly I'm sure you share my feeling that music has been um, a rare uh, pleasure to get us through some dark times. And I thought, well, maybe I'll share my, what, what I've enjoyed over the last couple of years with you instead. Now, there will be a Christmas theme, and indeed we're going to start this morning with a piece of music which uh, I certainly couldn't do without at Christmas time. It's very important, there are various sort of personal reasons. I remember having the pleasure of going to the Old Breath Festival, Benjamin Britten's festival, in I think it was 1965, on, um, when I was out in Nigeria brewing Guinness, and I came back for leave, and one of the things that I did when I came back was to go to the festival in Aldborough, and I was in a butcher's shop, and I saw Benjamin Britten there buying his sausages, so I, I cornered him <laughs> to get his autograph. Um, and Britain's music has always been extremely important to me uh, as a, a fellow East Anglian. And uh, this work, The Ceremony of Carols, was um, written in 1942 uh, on a very dangerous journey back by boat from New York, where he'd been living and he wrote this wonderful work for Boys' Voices and Harp. And um, it starts with plain song, and as you know, I always like to start with plain song, start with chant. And uh, it starts in the most beautiful way. I've, I've performed a four-part version of it, uh, and there's always this procession at the beginning. Uh, and you'll hear the procession, so you probably hear it quite quietly to begin with and then growing. And it's uh, the chant, Hodi Christus Natus est, today Christ is born. And we'll then hear the first um, uh, four, after the chant, the first four um, movements of this most beautiful work. Um, I should say, too, that uh, two years ago I played Benjamin Britten's St. Nicholas. Uh, you, some of you may remember that. And, of course, today, the 6th of December, is the Feast of St. Nicholas. And I heard this morning um, uh, on Radio 3 a chorus from St. Nicholas, and I just caught at the end that 
the whole work will be performed. I think it's on Friday night um, on Radio 3, if you'd like to hear the whole work. It's most lovely work. I'm very fond of it. Anyway, this is the ceremony of carols, the opening chant, and then the first few movements.
the unique sound of uh, boys' voices, Benjamin Britten from uh, the Ceremony of Carols. Uh, very beautiful, and I've said this before to you, and I'll say it again, my definition of a classic is uh, music that you can hear over and over again and always enjoy it and hear something new. Um, and I'm sure it was as stress-removing uh, as I'd like my first piece of music to be. Now, John Taverner, two composers, uh, English composers of the name. One spelt T-A-V-E-R-N-E-R, -E and one without that middle R. The one without the middle R is um, 20th century, and he wrote um, quite a lot of sacred music, and he claimed to be descended from the much earlier John Tavener, indeed, uh, 1490 to 1545. And I think he was the first of the golden age of English music, with perhaps William Byrd and Thomas Tallis being the main and best known composers. But John Tavener was of a century before uh, Byrd, and um, he uh, composed a lot of very florid and complex and multi-part choral music, um, and very, very beautiful and unusual, a sort of unique sound. And this is Dum Transiset, which is um, a respond for, from Matins of Easter Sunday, uh, and the text is when the Sabbath was over, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought aromatic oils intending to go and anoint Jesus, who of course was not in the tomb. So uh, I've sung this work many times. It's very, very beautiful. And um, it's sung here by the Talus scholars. So you couldn't get much better than that. So Dum Transiset by John Tavener from around about 1520.
John Tavener, Dum Transiset. Wonderful music indeed. Um, he seemed to ask his trebles and sopranos to go that bit higher and his basses to go that bit lower than most other composers. So there's a great richness, um, absolutely timeless music from around 500 years ago. Incredible to think that the music can speak 
across the centuries in that, in that way, I think. Uh, very lovely. Now, uh, a little bit of instrumental music by Anthony Holborn. I'm always very happy to find these new names, um, names that, you know, don't often appear. He didn't compose, let me see about his dates, 1545, so again, 16th century. And unlike most 16th century composers, he didn't compose sacred music, he composed instrumental music. Uh, so we're going to hear um, some work played on the viols. Now, the viols were um, forerunners, predecessors of the violins. They were fretted, unlike violins and violas and cellos now. Uh, they had frets on, um, on the board. And they were usually played uh, with the instrument on the musician's lap. Um, now, there are some big ones, some um, viola de gamba, and the word gamba meaning leg in, in Italian meant that uh, the, the player is, is you know, they, I was going to say spike, but they didn't have spikes. Uh, they were held by the knees and played. And um, a lovely sound, very similar to the string sound that we used to, but uh, very different all the same. And um, uh, so we'll hear vials and also uh, a very beautiful song called Sweet Was the Song the Virgin Sang. And the composer is unknown and it comes from a songbook which is held in Trinity College Library here in Dublin. Sweet Was the Song and the singer is Helen Charleston who is one of the finest young voices, um, soprano voices, uh, singing today. So here's uh, a very lovely song and some music for viols.
A lovely voice, um, Helen Charleston, unusual. I see uh, on the CD cover, and I do recommend this CD, it's lovely, it's from the Signum label, and it's just come out, I got it a couple of weeks ago, um, and if you're looking for um, a CD of Christmas music, rather unusual Christmas music, um, I do recommend it, and as it says there, She's a mezzo-soprano, and there's a, a sort of uh, alto-ish flavour to her voice. She doesn't sound like Emma Kirkby or any of the top sopranos, but I think it's very beautiful. I heard her sing in Bantry in the music festival there a couple of years ago. Um, the other thing that uh, struck me, the photograph of, I think she's actually... Japanese, uh, one of the viol players in fretwork who we heard, and it reminded me that um, there's, uh, these sessions are being podcasted, so you will be able to, uh, if you wish, hear them again. And I got my first feedback uh, from somebody who had watched the first two, and the feedback came from China. <laughs> How amazing, a student, a Chinese student uh, who had been in Trinity and uh, had um, caught early music and loved it and visited me and we, um, and he said, oh, I really enjoyed it. So that was interesting uh, that that's the first um, bit of feedback from the podcasts. Now, um, I said that the English Golden Age was uh, began perhaps by John Tavner uh, with William Byrd and Tallis. Uh, but there's just one, there was a period where the Germans called England the Land ohne Musik, land without music, and that was in the 18th century, in the 19th century. Um, but uh, there's one other composer that absolutely stands out and uh, who I've always loved, and that's Henry Purcell. Um, there was, uh, for a long time, uh, a feeling because of his name, which is an Irish name, of course, uh, that there were connections, but that's never been proved. Um, and uh, he wrote some funeral music, setting uh, funeral texts from the Book of Common Prayer. And he also, when Queen Mary died, which was um, uh, in 1694, uh, he wrote, uh, he, got the, uh, he re rewrote some of the funeral sentences and added some instrumental works for that combination of um, instruments, cornets and sackbuds, that I mentioned last week. And we're going to hear the complete funeral sentences. That's three uh, of the uh, of texts, motets, and some brass music between.
Well, I make no apology for playing a long piece by Henry Purcell. I think that is absolutely the most wonderful music. I know some people who don't care, perhaps, for Baroque music um, as much as I, and they say the trouble with Baroque music is you always seem to know what's going to happen next. Well, I think, you know, if you think of Bach and Handel, that's not true. Purcell, it certainly isn't true. You're never quite sure what he's going to do next. He's an absolute master of the clashes and um, the, the sudden surprises and the jumps and there's so much drama in his music. And he died um, in 1695 at the age of 34. Like Mozart and Schubert and so many of these wonderful composers who died incredibly young, and yet they wrote so much music, it was almost as though they knew they had to cram in <laughs> lots of music. And, and, and Purcell, I think the, his sacred music, his anthems for, um, uh, uh, for the church, I think seven or eight CDs, uh, lots of music for the stage, and the first earliest um, English opera, Dido and Aeneas. Uh, a wonderful composer, and when he died, I think it's probably right to say that there was um, a dearth of really fine composers until Elgar and Vaughan uh, Williams, Benjamin Britten, in, in the, at the, right at the end of, of, of the 19th century. Um, so there we are. There is Mr. Henry Purcell. Um, and now Bach. Well, um, I had the most wonderful experience of um, uh, visiting uh, the, all the churches that Bach worked in in Germany and hearing his finest music in those churches. It was very, very moving. I think I told you I heard the Vox Luminis sing uh, the B minor mass um, around the font where Bach was christened, uh, which was really a very, very moving experience. And when he was working in Arnstadt, when he was very young, um, Bach wrote, st started to write his astonishing corpus of cantatas. And this is from a very early one, um, Christlach in uh, Todesbanden, Christ lay in the bands of death. Um, and we'll hear the opening symphonia. Now, quite a lot of the cantatas had instrumental works as their opening movements. Um, and this is one of almost painful beauty. Um, and then there's the opening chorus, and the final uh, chorale. And it's very beautiful, one of the very earliest from about 1707. And two years before that, 1705, Bach had walked, uh, I don't know, 100, 100 miles or whatever, a long way to go and study with uh, Dietrich Buxtehude, who was the, one of his um, great uh, influences. And this has a very strong 17th century feel. By the time we come to the cantatas from Leipzig, it's looking forward 
But this is very much looking back. Maybe that's why I love it so much.
just can't get any better than that. Um, the Bach is just a, absolutely astonishingly wonderful. Um, that is from a very early cantata. Uh, as I think I mentioned last week, he wrote 300, but only 200 have survived. So a third of his output has been lost. Now, they're still digging them up in libraries in Russia and uh, uh, various places, so one hopes that that will continue. Um, uh, but um, anyway, we've still got an absolute treasure trove uh, from Bach. Exquisite beauty, that, I think. Um, and um, very happy personal memories uh, of that wonderful trip for me. Now, I mentioned, I think, that my two favorite 20th century composers were Britain and Stravinsky. We've had Britain, so here's some Stravinsky. Um, and this particular recording by a very good French group called Les Siècles um, is very interesting. I was uh, just reading the, uh, the booklet and it starts to talk about original instruments. I said, Stravinsky, original instruments. You know, you associate uh, work on original instruments and going back to, you know, early music, the music we've, we've already heard, and of course Bach as well. And then uh, I read further, uh, and the, the conductor, Franz Sevier Roth, um, uh, spoke of his interest in finding um, uh, instruments that were in use at the first performance of these ballets of Stravinsky, um, round about 1911. And they were very different from the instruments that are used today. They were bigger, stronger, louder, in those days, there were still gut strings on the violin, um, and uh, the uh, percussion section was different. So uh, even up to the early 20th century, um, there are discoveries of this sort which does have an effect on the music. Now, I'm, I like to say I'm not a purist, but I do think that we should um, consider as much as we can uh, the sounds that the composer would have expected uh, and actually did hear um, in the first performance of his works. It seems sensible. Now, I know, for instance, to go back to Bach, that there are some pianists who play Bach absolutely wonderfully, Angela Hewitt and uh, you know, there are many uh, who play in a very Bachian style, but we do have to remember that the piano did not exist in Bach's time. He would not have heard the sound of a piano when he wrote his keyboard uh, work. So it does seem to me that I would prefer to hear it on a clavichord or a harpsichord or an organ or on an instrument that would have been in the composer's mind when he composed. That just does seem 
sensible. Now, I've heard Bach plays on four saxophones, and it sounds great, um, yeah, as long as the love is there. But all the same, I think that uh, efforts to try and get back to the original instruments are very well worthwhile. So that's an interesting element. Now, um, there was a marvellous um, television programme, uh, Simon Rattle and uh, the Berlin Phil doing the four, uh, sorry, the three famous Stravinsky ballets from, from around about this time. Now, the most famous, of course, is The Rite of Spring. I think I did actually play a, um, a movement from The Rite of Spring. It is a thrilling score. I mean, absolutely, it is one of my desert island discs. I think I would have to take on that desert island a piece of music which was challenging, which I didn't know very well. And again, the Rite of Spring is such a complex and wonderful score that you always hear something new. Um, and the Firebird, of course, is also very beautiful. And the third one is Petrushka, and we're going to hear the opening movement of Petrushka. Now, it wasn't received in the same way in Paris as the Rite of Spring, where uh, the audience walked out and booed, and it was just too much for them, you know. He, uh, but the Firebird, not at all, uh, much more um, uh, what uh, the Parisian audiences would have expected. Yes, modern, yes, uh, contemporary, as you'd expect from from Stravinsky, and Patryshka was the same. Uh, and yet, in this movement, I think uh, those of you who know the Rite of Spring will hear a lot of echoes uh, from that wonderful work. Uh, so this is the opening movement of Stravinsky's Patryshka. Thank you. 
What amazing fun and fantastic music. I thought, oh, what I should have done, of course, is to try and find a DVD of the actual ballet so you could see the dancers. But the amazing thing about that music is you could actually see the dancers in your mind, you know. It's so uh, obviously a ballet score. And so what have you got? You've got charm and delight and sort of rustic peasant feeling, uh, Russian, obviously, the, the, the influence and then surprise, constant change of tempi and a lot of use of, uh, of percussion. Absolutely stunning scores, the three of them. Um, I think it's uh, Sky Arts um, the, is the television um, station that I heard the Simon Rattle. Do keep an eye, you know, they're constantly repeating it, but do keep an eye out for, the, for these recordings. I mean, to hear the three together is absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, that great Stravinsky fan. Uh, okay, so where do we end today? We end um, in that place which I've already spoken of many times, the Chapel of King's College in Cambridge, which is very special to me for so many reasons. And uh, this is our DVD, so I hope we'll see some um, beautiful shots. Here are two carols. The first one from L'Enfance du Christ, um, Child of, of Christ by Hector Berlioz. And this is a very lovely um, shepherd's farewell, it's called. Um, a very lovely, uh, I won't say carol, it's, it's Christmas music, which you very often hear. Uh, and then, um, a, a, a carol by Bob Chilcott. Now, he's one of a former King's singer, tenor, a former member of King's College Chapel, and he's composed a lot of Christmas music. There are, I mean, I've got at least four CDs of his, um, solely of his Christmas music. Um, and this is another uh, shepherd. Uh, carol. So two carols from the chapel of King's College in Cambridge.
see why I love that place so much? Absolutely astonishing. Um, my mother tells me, tells a story of how I, aged about three, I broke away from her hand to run across Kingsbury to get into the, the chapel. And I remember my earliest uh, memory was that that astonishing glass um, uh, was not there. It had been taken down uh, during the war and put in the cellars to protect it. And the, the windows were covered with brown paper. And that was my, my earliest memory. Um, uh, luckily, it came back. And I mean, there's so many people talk about that incredible ceiling, the fan-vaulted ceiling. But the glass is very special and very, very beautiful. Um, and so, uh, and the choir is pretty good too. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. What a nice way to end this morning. Thank you so much uh, for your attention. It's been my great pleasure. And I look forward to being here with you again next Monday. Thank you.